0: Good morning, everybody. Uh, It's good to see you all this morning. And uh, we, today, uh, as always, we gather around the proclamation of the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done, and how that shapes us and changes us. Uh, If you are a guest here, we welcome you and are glad you've chosen to visit with Redemption Church this morning and would love to uh, get more information to you. You could check out the guest services table out in the foyer. And, um, we would invite you to uh, stop by there and let us um, talk to you a little bit more, so we're glad you're here. Uh, if you've been with us for a while, you know this summer we've been going through a series we're calling, Are You Serious? And we've looked at various facets of the Christian faith. Are you serious about the Bible? Are you serious about faith? Are you serious about Christian unity? Etc. And today we're kind of knocking out the, uh, the end of this uh, series, and um, after Labor Day, we'll be starting a series on the book of Hebrews uh, that we're really stoked about. So I would encourage you to uh, begin reading and praying over the book of Hebrews, and uh, we'll be camping out there for probably a year or so. We'll see. Uh, but today, as we, uh, as we finish up this uh, Are You Serious series, we're going to be in the book of Mark, chapter 3, uh, the gospel of Mark, chapter 3. As we look at the topic of stewardship, are you serious about stewardship? So, Um, often when we say the word stewardship, people obviously, or most often think of, you know, dollars, money. It's like, all right, here's a stewardship talk from a pastor. He's going to talk about money. Let me tell you, uh, today we're not going to talk about you or your money. We're going to talk about Jesus and his gospel, okay? We're not going to talk about uh, what you must do with your stuff, but rather who Jesus is and what he's done and how he changes our identity, our community, the mission, our motivations, our hearts, okay? So, That's just a little upfront. Why don't I pray, and we'll dive into the text this morning. Father God in heaven, thank you so much for a time to gather with your people, as your people. Lord, a time to sing your praises to you and over one another through music. God, to proclaim your goodness through reading. God, to praise you through prayer, to celebrate time together in fellowship and in communion. And Lord, now through the reading and proclamation of your word. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would dwell here with us, that you would be present in our worship, God, that you would be changing our hearts and minds, revealing more of who you are and what you've done, and and God, who we are and how we need you. And Lord, I pray that that everything said in the service today would glorify you, uh, and that your Spirit would move in our minds and hearts. We ask this in the good name of Jesus. Amen. Mark chapter 3, verse 7. And whenever the unclean spirit saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called, him, called to him those who he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. And he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons he appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, and Simon, the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. This is God's word. Friends, Jesus meets us in our greatest need, even if we don't know what it is. This good news redefines the purpose and motivation for our lives. As I mentioned earlier, what comes to mind when I say the word stewardship? Because often we think of money and we approach it from an ownership standpoint, saying, well, if you're going to talk about stewardship, you're going to talk about me and my money. Uh, But rather, when we look at Stewardship, we can see that we steward other things besides resources. We steward relationships, opportunities, uh, skills, talents. But see, we approach these things from an ownership perspective, saying, well, this is my uh, relationship with this person, or this is my opportunity in the workforce. These are my resources, and, and this is my skill or talent. And see, what happens is we have this ownership mentality that is very much, you know, me-focused. And we think, ownership, how does this relationship serve me? How do these resources serve me? How does this opportunity forward my ambition or my goals? And how does this talent or skill uh, benefit me? But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus changes us from owners to stewards. We no longer have the mindset of these things serving me for my benefit, but we see that these things, whether they be resources, money, uh, talent, skills, relationships, opportunities, these things are our gifts from God for you, but also for the advancement of his kingdom. So no longer do we see ourselves as owners taking stuff in, but we see ourselves as stewards giving opportunity to make much of Jesus in every area of life. And this is a radical shift that only the gospel can bring. I can't pep talk you into this mindset. Only the Holy Spirit of God and acting in your hearts and minds to show you who Jesus is and how he changes us can bring that kind of transformation. Because I don't want to stand up here and talk about what you must do with your stuff and your opportunities, but rather show you who Jesus is and what he's done and how that changes everything for all of us and how that makes much of him and his kingdom. Because the gospel gives us no longer are we stuck in an attitude of ownership, but we have stewardship, so we see ourselves having a new identity as disciples, following Jesus with a new mission and a new action of, of stewardship, joining in his kingdom work to proclaim the good news, to embody uh, the, the restoration that Jesus brings. Because stewardship at its core is not about you and your stuff. It's about Jesus and his gospel. It's about us together partnering on his mission to love and to serve a broken world. And to make disciples to worship him who has called us from darkness to his marvelous light. And we see this in this passage today. In Mark chapter 3, it's at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, and we see that uh, in the context of Jesus' preaching and teaching, he is stepping into a world that is, it is politically charged and religiously charged. There are people who are uh, very much consumers seeking to take advantage of others and to get as much as they can, much like our world today. There are people who are good, devout, religious, traditional people trying to live a good life trying to uh, perform well so that God would love them and accept them, trying to do what's right so that others would like them and approve of them. And we see that this, too, is common in our day and age today. So we see that the context of Jesus' setting is very similar to ours because you see two types of people, even in this story. You see the great crowd who are people with a lot of need, and you see those who are out doing and performing things, perhaps to see if God will approve of them more and others will say, Hey, You're doing a good job. So you have the great crowd and you have the apostles. You have those who are in need and you have those who are doing good things. And you and I can see ourselves often in one of these two categories as well. So look at first, you see the needy, the great crowd. In verse 7, it says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea and a great crowd followed him from Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, from beyond the Jordan, from around Tyre and Sidon. This is amazing. There's a tambourine. Excuse me. Man. You see a great crowd of people from all these various cities. This, Jesus is bringing, uh, is drawing attention not only from one city or one town or one region, but from all over the place. I mean, he's... he's People know who he is, and this is just in chapter 3 of the Gospel. Because he's teaching and proclaiming this good news. He's doing these miraculous things, healing people. You see later in the Gospels that he's he's feeding thousands. He's bringing people back from the dead. He's healing them from diseases. He is going to the marginalized people of that society who were taken advantage of, neglected by their government, neglected even by their religious leaders. And he's going to them and changing their lives forever. And people say, I see something. I want in on that. So people approach Jesus not even knowing what they need just knowing they need something, and they think Jesus can provide. They don't understand that their greatest need is radical transformation. I mean, imagine being there saying, I'm so hungry, I heard Jesus can feed people, I'm going to go get a sandwich. right? Or saying, I'm sick, nobody can heal me, I'm going to Jesus because maybe he can make me feel better. Right, People are going to Jesus because, Scripture says, there was a great crowd that heard what he was doing, verse 8 says. They heard what he was doing. They heard he was healing people and changing people's physical ailments. But they didn't realize their greatest need is to have an encounter with a Savior. Ironically, the demons, the unclean spirits, recognize who he is. In verse 11, the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. Notice the crowds don't come to him in this particular story saying, You're the Son of God. They just come saying, Hey, you got something, I need something, help me out. But the spirits, the unclean spirits, recognize that Jesus is the Son of God. Interesting. Because people approach him, honestly, like, Consumers not knowing what their greatest need is. We see later in the passage in verse 13, he calls together his apostles, he sends them out, and these men do amazing things. They have the authority to cast out demons and to preach, to proclaim the good news. So here you see this great context of the first century. Political corruption, religious corruption, people, consumers needing something, people taking advantage of others to advance their own agendas. But here we see Jesus gathering people to show his goodness. So often, our human nature typically expresses itself in those two ways. Being consumers or being performers. Meaning... Being consumers saying, well, this is my money, my stuff, my relationships, my job, my skills. How can this serve me and advance my agenda? Or being performers saying, well, hey, I want to do good so that others will think I'm a good person. I want to serve well. I mean, this, this comes down even to the good things we do can often be motivated by performance, right? I mean, you could say, look, I want, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I've struggled with this in my seven years of ministry at this church. I want to do a good job up here so you'll like me. Right, I don't want to blow it today so that when I step back down on the floor and shake hands afterwards, I feel like a, a moron and you, you maybe don't like me or whatever. Just a little personal caveat. So we often have consumeristic and performance-driven things in our lives with each other, but honestly with the Lord. We have this with God because we see people come into Jesus wanting something from Him. They like the perks that the Christian faith brings. I want to walk with Jesus so maybe he'll give me a good life. Maybe if you walk with Jesus, you think you'll get some sort of money or blessing or benefit that that looks very tangible. But when often you see the heroes of the faith are the ones whose heads get lopped off and they get crucified upside down. Right? Look at Egypt, what's going on politically in Egypt right now. Those are the heroes of the faith. They're not writing books and recording records. The churches are getting burned down. People are getting killed. Those are the heroes of the faith. Right? So we often have the consumerism mindset in our faith and even performance-driven, not only to impress each other, but to impress God. Have you ever been in that position where you're thinking, you know, if I skip my Bible reading today, the Lord will disapprove of me. Have you ever been there? Just be honest. I've been there. Thinking, I have to do this so that the Lord will accept me and approve of me. Friends, the consumerism and performance-driven mindsets uh, wreck us, and there is no healing it on our own. It takes a radical savior stepping in and saying, you are no longer going to be a consumer, you are my disciple. You are no longer going to have to perform to impress people. You're going to have to perform to impress God because in me you were accepted and you were approved. This is good news. So I want to ask you this. Um, well, let me just ask, do you experience these things? I mean, in your life, how does consumerism express itself? Maybe very tangibly with your money, resources and time, or maybe even in your faith saying, "You know, I'm going to pray today. I don't feel like it, but if I pray today, maybe the Lord will give me all green lights to work. I won't be late," right? Have you ever prayed in the mall parking lot at Christmas, "Lord, give me the best parking place you know you have." You need to confess, huh? Often we experience that. How does consumerism play out in your life personally? Secondly, how does performance-driven mindset play out in your life personally? Maybe you're trying to impress others in this room, people at work. Maybe you're trying to impress the Lord. Be honest with yourself. Because it often can manifest both at the same time, right? Honestly, you can say, well, I'm trying to get this. So maybe, Lord, if you just give me a lot of money, then I'll be very generous with it and spend a lot of cool things to impress everybody, right? Or to impress you. You know, the best example of this, we'll just go here. Have you seen the movie What About Bob? Right? Watch it. There's this great scene with, you know, Bob Wiley, Bill Murray. Love the guy. And um, he, uh, if you know, he has kind of some emotional issues. He latches on to a therapist named Dr. Leo Marvin. You know what I'm talking about? And so he has all of these uh, paranoias and he's like a hypochondriac and he thinks he has Tourette's and just all kind of stuff going on. And he, he, he walks up to, uh, there's one scene where he walks up to Dr. Leo Marvin and says, you know, gimme, 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 I need, I need, I need, I need. He's approaching the doctor like a consumer, like gimme, gimme, I need, I need. But so then he goes on to say, Dr. Marvin, I'm doing the work, I'm baby stepping, I'm not a slacker. So in his mindset, in his sick, hilarious mindset, he's thinking, if I could just get something from this doctor, and then I can do the work, baby-stepping, showing that I'm not a slacker, this doctor will like me. And that will make all things better. Perfect example of our brokenness in the Christian faith. Thinking if we could just get something to impress the Lord, He will accept us and approve of us, and others will as well. But at the end of the day... Uh, You find yourself still strapped to a sailboat, yelling, yelling, I'm sailing. But the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is and what he does, changes everything. No longer, when we encounter Jesus, no longer do we think, what can I get from him? But rather, I get to be with him. No longer, what must I do to impress him and everybody else? But rather, I'm accepted by the Son of God. Therefore, I'm accepted into his family, by his family. Look at this, because this is so good. The crowd follows Jesus, hearing what he's done, wanting something from him. In the first century of people being consumers and people being oppressors of each other, trying to get ahead and outdo one another, even the the political and religious people of the day, look what Jesus does with a bunch of stinky fishermen, right? I love this. He went up, verse 13, He went up on the mountain and called to Him those whom He desired. And they came to Him. And He appointed twelve, whom He also named apostles, that they might be with Him and He might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Friends, these two verses change everything for you and I as consumers, as performers, as broken people, thinking we need to get something so that we can go do something to impress. We see that the characteristics of true gospel discipleship, that, that the true identity we have in Christ, this is how it plays out for stewardship, As we see that we are no longer owners trying to get stuff, and that we are no longer performers trying to do stuff, but rather we are disciples who follow Jesus and I want to give you three characteristics of what true gospel discipleship looks like, and then tell you how it plays out with stewardship. What does this have to do with stewardship? What, Jeremy, what, when are you going to get to the money part? I'm not. Tell you that. The gospel characteristics of gospel discipleship are this: first, you were called by Jesus. All right, this has to do specifically with the 12 apostles whom Jesus sent out to preach the news, but these characteristics apply to you and I today. Those who were gathered by Jesus first, you see it in verse 13. He went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. Friends, the word called is huge in Scripture. Jesus didn't just stand on the mountain and say, Peter, James, John, get over here. The word call means to summon. It means to, to draw out. It means to have, unfo- to have focused, undivided attention and to draw you with passion, with, with, with such commitment that you are saying, I am just forgetting everything around me because I am being called right there. It means to, for, for the disciples to see Jesus walk up on a mountain and call them was not just like, hey, I'm going for a walk, come with me, but rather to look behind and see all of the crowds saying, we need stuff, and to say, you know what, I can't give it to you. I've got to follow Jesus. There are hundreds of people following Jesus and and. By proxy, his disciples, and as Jesus walks up on the mountain, can you imagine hungry people saying, Man, Jesus is leaving us. Peter, will you give me some food? Or some sick woman coming up and saying, James, I'm sick. Can you heal me? And so look in that moment and say, as much as I would love to because it would make me feel awesome, I have to say no right now. I have to say, my commitment is to follow Jesus. Jesus. He is calling me. He is summoning me. He is beckoning me. I have to say no to a good thing in light of the better thing right now. Because I can do this one good thing maybe in my own strength very feebly and probably blow it anyway and miss Jesus. or. I can put you on pause just for a minute while I focus on my Savior so that He can change me so that I can come back and give you what you really need. It's not a sandwich, it's the gospel. What you really need is not just a band-aid for your scraped knee, it is a, a radical change and salvation from your sin and idols and brokenness that I can't give you, but He can. I'll be right back. To be called means to have that committed focus saying no to the good things in light of the best it means saying no to opportunities that look good but saying yes to jesus trusting that after you follow him something better will happen for his glory not your own for the benefit of his kingdom not the benefit of your own you're with me Calling is not only a beckoning and a summoning, but in Scripture it is a, an identification. It's a naming. It's saying, I'm calling you. I'm naming you my disciple. Not just Peter, James, John, follow me, but Peter, James, John, you belong to me. You're mine. Jesus begins to teach and show that, that after his ministry on earth is done, that his apostles become the hands and feet of the gospel, to take it all over the world, both through proclamation and doing good things, planting churches. Two thousand years later, because of their faithfulness and obedience to follow Jesus, because he called them, we're meeting here in this school talking about Jesus. Isn't that cool? I'm so thankful Jesus called them. And I'm so thankful that Scripture says they came to Him. Because in that moment, if Peter, James, and John and the others would have said, Jesus, can you just take notes for us and bring them back? Because we've got we to do this. There's hundreds of people. Let us do crowd control and you just catch up with us later. If that would have happened, there would be no church ever, right? I mean, that would have been. And part of God's plan was for Him to call them and for them to follow, okay? You with me? Love it. So, friends, to be a disciple of Jesus means to recognize that He calls you. If you are following Jesus, it's because He first summons you, it's because He beckons you, it's because He's calling you. And yes, the partner thing with that is that they came to Him. You follow Him. It's not enough to say, Jesus called me. Well, if He called you and you're still standing there, then you missed it, right? I know people like that. The Lord called me. The Lord went walking that way with everybody else. What are you doing here? You missed missed the boat, man. Likewise, you can't say, I'm following Jesus. Dude, Jesus is walking up the mountain. Why are you skipping down the valley? Just an aside. Good grief. Characteristics of gospel discipleship has to do with Jesus calling you and you following, first and foremost. Secondly, and very importantly, this is where I think a lot of us miss it in the over-churched, under-gospeled South and Christian culture in which we live that I love, and that we're here. So praise the Lord. Verse 14. He appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. That's huge. The point of Jesus calling you, and the point of you following him, is that you might be with him. It's not so that he can hand you something. I mean, Jesus doesn't say, come here, here's a mop, start mopping. And then he walks off. Jesus calls people to follow him so that they might be with him. Man, this is the beauty of the gospel is Jesus doesn't tell you what to do and then hand you a toolbox and say, go do it. He says the point of me calling you is that you would follow me so that you might be with me. Just be with him. You don't have to consume by getting from him what you think you need. You don't have to perform to say, look, Jesus, if you're going to call me, let me let me impress you. The point of Jesus calling you and the point of you following him is that you might just be with him. That's why Jesus came to the earth. I mean, Jesus, if you read the beginning of the book of John, for instance, you see that that, that Jesus is God dwelling with people. Scripture says that Jesus is the Lord tabernacling. It's this Old Testament, Old Testament imagery of, of the Lord's presence coming down and just camping out with His people. Just saying, I'm going to put up a tent, we're going to have some clouds and light, and we're just going to hang here for a minute. If you look in Scripture, that happens when, when they just stop for a minute. Sure, God manifests His presence when He parts the sea and when He like, burns stuff to the ground and like plagues. That's all the manifestation of the glory of God, of the power of the Lord. But when you see in the book of Exodus, they're like working, they're following, they're doing this stuff, and then the Lord says, "Stop, Pitch a tent. Let's hang here for a minute. And that's when His glory comes down. That is Jesus this is a, a foreshadowing of who Jesus is and what He's done, is that He comes down. All the power of the Lord, all, all the glory of the Father is manifest in Jesus who comes just to just to camp out, just to dwell. And friends, this is what my, my heartbeat and plea for you and I, I mean, as, as individuals, as families, as friends, as a community, as, as a church, is that we would understand that following Jesus isn't just following someone to get benefits from them. And the following Jesus isn't like this scary thing of, man, he's going to keep looking at you, and if you don't perform right, he's going to burn you to the ground. No. The, the point of following Jesus is that he, he is dwelling with us, and he wants to dwell with you. It's the presence of the Lord just like huddling up, like hugging, like making s'mores. I mean, it's just like, just think of like the most comforting, relaxing imagery, just without sounding hokey, just whatever it is, just like, man, it's not... I mean, Jesus is our peace. Jesus is the, the righteousness of God. He's God incarnate. It's not a scary thing for us in Christ. It is a joyful, peaceful, comforting thing to know that Jesus calls us so that we would cling to Him, that we would be with Him. And is that good news for you? So that Jesus calls you just so He could be with you. Just be with you, you not to perform. You don't have to show up with your wish list. He just wants to be with you. I mean the, the king of the universe who created you just wants to be with you. You're his child. You are his son. You were his daughter. He wants you to come to him just to just to be with him. Those of you with children probably know this. It is like nothing more exciting. You know, I, I love it when I come home from work or something and I just like lay on the floor, and my kids just pile on me. And before they say, "Dad, I want something." If they just want to hang out with me, it means the world to me, man. Last time my kids were like, "Dad, please, can we just sit on the couch and eat cookies and watch Star Wars?" And I said, "Yes." And all six of us got on the couch. <laughs> all six of my just we're all just wedged in there, just like, "Yes, yeah, it's family." <laughs> Eating cookies, just, woo. In a more in a less goofy way. This is who Jesus is. He's calling us to cling to him. Not just about what we get from him, but just being with him. Are you with me? It's good news. That's what I want you to know. Is that Jesus calls you, summons you so that you would follow him. And that being a disciple means that we we just spend time with Jesus. We're clinging to him in every area of life. Just the whole blanket statement of the Lord is with you always. It's a promise of scripture. The The Lord is with you always wherever you go. But also in those specific moments, like when you're lonely tonight. Maybe you're, you're, you're lonely, and you're, just, you're up late, and you're like, man, I just, I'm a lonely person. and The Lord's with you. Okay? Maybe you're thinking, all I want in this life is to get married. The Lord's with you, friends. Right? Or maybe you're like, man, my marriage is really tense right now. This is really, really hard. The Lord's with you. Husband and wife, the Lord's with you. He's going through this with you, right? Um, Kids, maybe school's tough, right? Maybe the neighborhood is not not going well. (laughs) Maybe things on the playground are a little tense. Um, The Lord's with you, kids. You're not on your own out there. It's good news. It's good news. Thirdly and finally we see that no longer as consumers and no longer as performers, Jesus calls us to be His disciples uh, because first, He calls us and we follow Him. Secondly, we, we cling to Him because he, he just wants to dwell with us and for us to dwell with Him. And then thirdly, He sends us. And this is where we see specifically this applies to the apostles, but it's not only for the apostles. In this in The word apostle means one who is sent with a message, right? And so we see Jesus in verse 14, He appointed twelve Whom he also named apostles, as those who were sent with a message. There were twelve of them, so that they might be with him, right, dwelling, and they might he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. All right. So what you see here is Jesus calls, they follow, they cling to him. He just is with them. We don't know how long they were on that mountain. We don't know what they were doing. They're just hanging out, and then Jesus sends them, commissions them as apostles to go and to preach. and to have authority to cast out demons. Uh, So what what you see, there's two things that happen there. He sends them out to to preach means to proclaim. It doesn't mean to stand up here and do this necessarily, although it can mean this, but it can mean to proclaim the goodness of Jesus. For instance, tomorrow when you're at school and somebody says, life's horrible, you can say, well, let me tell you about Jesus. Or they can say, hey man, I saw you last year get totally wasted and do something totally stupid. Are you sure you belong to Jesus? And you can say, well, yes. Let me proclaim to you the goodness and the grace of the Lord who brings forgiveness and restoration. Just that. That's preaching. So you can do that. All of y'all can do that. Because if you are called by Jesus and you cling to Jesus, he sends you out to proclaim who he is. So there you go. You're all preachers. Go for it. You can sign up and just everybody start take a Sunday to preach. That would be awesome. You want to do that? Maybe another time. He also gives them the authority to cast out demons, it says in verse 15. That means that the the, the Son of God, like God incarnate, is dwelling with his people and says, because I've called you and you were following me and because you were clinging to me, I'm going to give you authority to do some things. Those things will not happen if I didn't call you. Those things would not happen if you didn't follow me. Those things would not happen if you were to not cling to me. And that's important. Because Jesus doesn't just throw them the tool bag and the instruction book and say, go plan a church. He says, no, you follow, I'm calling you. You follow me. You, you stay with me. And now that you're staying with me, I'll give you something to proclaim. You can't proclaim somebody you don't know. Let me tell you about that guy. Have you ever met him? No. Well, then you can't really proclaim him then. Jesus says, dwell with me. I'm going to dwell with you. Spend some time with me. We're going to camp out here. We're going to huddle up. And then I'm going to send you to proclaim and also have authority. That's the gospel demonstrated. I mean, to preach is the gospel proclaimed. To have authority to do something such as cast out demons is the gospel displayed. And we often say that at this church. We want to be a church that is leading people to Jesus, to lead people to Jesus. We do that by proclaiming the good news and by displaying the effects of the good news. One or the other is not the full effect of the gospel. You can't proclaim the gospel and then not display any effects of it. Jesus is Lord, and then you act like a jerk, and you're selfish, and you're mean to people, and you don't ever do anything. Or you can't say, well, I'm just going to feed a bunch of people and never tell them about Jesus. Jesus. That's not the full effect of the gospel either. Just so you know, both of them here. You proclaim and you do. Hmm. Mm -hmm. You with me? Two hands on a bat. Two hands on an axe has more power than one hand. For those of you who chop down trees... Both proclaiming and demonstrating who Jesus is and what he's done. So, you see what happens. These 12 apostles step off the mountain, they start preaching, they start healing people, they start feeding people, they start planting churches all over the place. All of them die for their faith. They're not consumers. If you want to be a consumer and get something for Jesus, you, you can't come here because I, all I can do is tell you I can give you Jesus. That's it. Can't promise that your life's going to get easier can't promise that you won't die or be persecuted for your faith. You probably will. In our lifetime, we we will. I'm sure. It's coming. It's always been there, actually. We've just been one of the last places on earth to feel it. So it's coming. Reaching us. Often the most misquoted quote ever, people think that St. Francis of Assisi said, preach with words or what? preach always and if necessary, use words. Have you heard that quote? St. Francis didn't say that. Just so you know, somebody made that up. It, it's impossible to preach the gospel without using words. But I think the, the point is there is that preach the gospel with words and also do things unwordly, right? A better quote by a guy named Justin Buzzard said, preach and if necessary, use two turntables and a microphone, Right? Proclaim the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done and show the effects of that. So the power to proclaim the gospel and the power to have authority to do any kind of good work that honors Jesus comes from being with Jesus. Am I clear? That's what I want you to know. So how does this apply to stewardship? Consumerism is about what you get. Performance is about what you do. The gospel is about who Jesus is and what he's done, and therefore who we are and how we live, right? Consumerism is about what you get, what you have, what you own. Performance is about what you do. The gospel is about who Jesus is and what he's done, and the ramifications of that, of who we are, a new identity individually and families and together, and a new motivation for living. So how does this apply to stewardship, right? It's a beautiful portrait of stewardship because at the end of the day, stewardship is about Jesus and his gospel and how this changes everything. This changes how we spend our time recognizing that our identity is those who have been called by Jesus, who are following Jesus. It changes our understanding of community together because we understand that we're not a bunch of isolated individuals, but rather we are gathered. We are clinging to Jesus together. That's important. Jesus called these guys up the mountain, not one by one. You, first, come here. Now you go away. And then you, second, come here. Jesus called them together. So understanding that being called is a community event changes everything for me and you and everybody in this room and everybody who's a Christian, right? You can't live the Christian life on your own. I thought I could for a while. Like a moron. I said, when the church ain't going to change the world, I'll change the world. I got on a plane and flew overseas. I was like, I'm going to change the world. What? Really? Really? Me? No. Jesus is changing the world and he uses his gathered people to do it. And it's pretty rad. Like Voltron. Got all the lions coming together. So I want to ask you this, how this applies to stewardship is we have a new identity because God, Jesus has called us to follow him. We have a new community because we are clinging to him together. We cling to him every time we gather to worship and we sing and we pray and we have communion and we have the, the word preached and taught. We, we, we cling to him when we gather in missional communities in, in each other's homes, when we gather in DNA groups, when we have just potlucks together like, hey, tonight, let's go. Let's all go to our downtown office and eat. We're going to cling to Jesus together and eat some food. Biblical. And then we cling to Jesus so that he can send us out to proclaim and to do, to to tell who he is and to show the effects of what he's done. So I want to ask you here uh, now, how did you enter this room today? Did you walk in as a consumer or a performer? Were you struggling with what, what I can get and what I own Are you struggling with what I can do to impress people and and maybe even impress God? It is my hope and prayer that we all take a good, hard look at our hearts as consumers and performers and repent of that sin and lack of faith and cling to Jesus together and trust that Jesus calls you, He identifies you as His his child, as his disciple, and that we gather together clinging to him and that he sends us out to proclaim the good news and have authority to do things together. This applied to the apostles. It applies to you and I today as followers of Jesus. And that's good news, right? So so may we have a good, hard look at who we are apart from Jesus and repent. Repent of sin, repent of idols, repent of our fickle hearts, and just cling to Jesus and believe the good news of who He is and what He said He would do. Because it's all true. Is that cool? Let me pray. Father God in heaven, thank You for the time to open Your Word. Jesus, I thank You for Your gospel, Your good news. I thank You for who You are and what You've done. Jesus, I thank You for the good news that You proclaimed on this earth and that You displayed by Your perfect life, Your death, burial, Your resurrection and ascension to heaven. God, I thank You that You have empowered Your people because you called them, you summoned them, and they followed you, and, you, and they cling to you, and, and then you sent them out to preach the good news and to display the effects of this good news. And, and God, because of your faithfulness through them, uh, we are here today celebrating the gospel. And so God, I pray now your Holy Spirit would transform us individually and in our marriages and families, God, that we would not rest in what we have, nor will we rest in what we do, but Jesus, we would rest in who you are and the new identity we have because of you, Jesus. And that this good news would propel us to tell others and to to do good works, not so that you would love us and accept us, but because you love us and accept us. And that through your work in us and through us, the world would come to know the beautiful name of Jesus that many would turn from sin and idols and cling to You in faith, Jesus. God, I pray that you, would, uh, God, that you would bless our community with joy because of this good news. Lord, that we would not be selfish and stingy. And Lord, that we would not be bitter and afraid and angry. But Lord, that we would, would have joy resting in who you are and what you've done for us. And God, that this would ripple out to the nations. Jesus, we ask this for your good name, for your glory, for our joy and the advancement of the gospel. In Christ's name, amen.